Hey everyone, I'm Andy Kraft. And I'm Aaron Kraft. Welcome to the Health Hacked Podcast. All right, so finally got our offer accepted on a house. That's big news. Yeah. It, it was a battle. How many months has it been you've been looking for? Um, three months, which actually in the grand scheme of things in this market is not that okay. bad. That, that was our third offer that we placed. And mm-hmm. our realtor said, like, most people are having to get five, six, seven deep before they get one accepted. So, so you got two rejected offers and this one yeah. got accepted. Yeah. And it's like nice. right down the road from us. So we're super pumped. I mean, it's going to get hectic moving, but that was a big weight off our shoulders because we thought we weren't going to be in a new place before we had the kid and which would be fine i mean we're in a you know a smallish town home so i mean we could have made it work mm-hmm. it just would have been tight but yeah, yeah. so super thanks that's awesome that. that's incredible feeling oh i know and it'll be i mean so you have august september what three basically three months about to move in and get settled yeah yeah okay yeah due that's dates nice. november 6th but dude there's this bonus room that's actually like pretty big that i'm going to turn into like a full office slash studio Oh, nice. That'll be yeah. awesome. I have a little podcasting corner, so it'll be pretty cool. Yeah. It's yeah. exciting. All right, let's get into it. All righty. So anybody who uh, is, is listening to this podcast has probably spent uh, a decent amount of time either reading or researching or listening to just health-related topics, like reading articles, books, podcasts, following health-related uh, accounts. I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably fall into that category. And more than likely, you probably came across some confusing or contradictory information, particularly in the past year and a half. You've certainly read um, confusing and contradictory. Contra- why can't I say that word? Contradictory, contradictory. information? Contradictory. Um, and this is particularly uh, relevant and prevalent for nutrition research. So, you know, eggs, they were once really bad for you, then they're good for you. And it kind of flip flip flops back and forth. Uh, the, the meat, meat's going to kill you uh, or eat only meat. Um, eat every two hours, don't eat for five days. Like it, it's always back and forth. There's always these confusing contradictions. Um, and it's really frustrating. And that's actually like why we started doing our podcast and our newsletter in the first place to shed light on the confusing health information out there. So we're going to be talking about, I guess, why you always see these contradictory headlines and uh, the steps you can kind of take to weed out low quality information. So we're going to start off with a nutrition headline, and we actually covered this in the Health Act newsletter. And we want to talk about this one specifically because there's a lot of interesting stuff and points in this one that we want to cover. But then we'll... um, kind of dissect the issues with nutrition research, with nutrition information in general, um, and how you can just better navigate it and um, know what information is good and what's what's bad and kind of, yeah, navigate that for yourself. So let's, um, let's start off with that study and just give a quick overview of it. Like I said, we talked about it in our newsletter, but we're going to do a quick rundown of what that study was and kind of why it was questionable. So, Andy, mm-hmm. do you want to give that rundown? Yeah, I think this will just kind of be a good segue into the issue with nutritional, the obstacles, I guess, with nutritional studies. So this one was put out, um, 
relatively recently. It was called plant cent plant centered diets, and my page just froze. Plant centered diet and risk of incident cardiovascular disease during young to middle adulthood. So it was looking at the association between diets that focus on plant foods um, and diets that restrict animal products and cardiovascular disease. So um, the, the goal was basically to see how a more plant-centered diet, not not necessarily strictly plant-based, but plant-centered, mostly plants, how that and, and less animal products, and how that impacts the likelihood of uh, cardiovascular disease. But um, as you said in the newsletter, kind of left us with s- some questions. So what they did is they looked at data from almost 5,000 adults between the age of 18 and 30, uh, 18 to 30, when the data was first collected, which was back in 1986. And then they looked at diet intake over the course of 32 years. And then in 2018, they looked at what uh, cardiovascular disease incidents happened during that time. And they found that consumption of a plant-centered diet uh, was associated with a lower risk of cardiovascular disease, which confirms what we've seen in a lot of observational studies around eating more plants. But there were a few problems with this, and if you are if you are subscribed to Health Act, you already know this. But the first thing is like the data here wasn't great, so they assessed dietary intake like most people do in, in observational studies by conducting interviews or, or surveys um, about eating habits over the course of 32 years. But they only did this at year zero, year seven, and year twenty. That that's it. So over the course of thirty-two years, they evaluated diet of this group of people three times in the form of a questionnaire, or it was an interview, but it was a questionnaire conducted in the form of an interview. And and during those interviews, they asked them what they ate over the past month. Now most people can hardly remember what they ate for breakfast or, or what they eat earlier in the week. Not to mention, like, hey, generally, what did you eat over this full month? Like that, most people don't know that. So mm-hmm. the accuracy of that data is pretty questionable, and it's from very few time periods. So, I mean, we basically have three uh, data points over the course of 32 years. So that's kind of the first issue with it. The data isn't great. And then beyond that, the way they categorized the foods was kind of bizarre to me. So during the, the food questionnaire was basically split up into um, the beneficial, neutral, or adverse foods. And so in the beneficial group, you know, they included, um, it was most, I mean, mostly plants as we would expect. So fruit. basically they were asked, is like on the questionnaire, they were asked, <clears throat> like basically did you during this period um, for a month? Well, yeah, they asked for the, a mm-hmm. month. So during this month period, did you like how much of each of these group, groups yeah. did you eat? Is that they were basically asking? Yeah, it was 46, I think, 46 different food groups. And then, you know, afterwards they split it up into beneficial, adverse. And okay. um, it was, they had already decided, I think, those ahead of time. But it was 46 different food groups. So in the beneficial group, it was mostly plants. I mean, as that's what the study was looking at, you know, beans, vegetables, fruit, avocado, tomato. Um, oddly enough, vegetable oil was in there, which we've talked about the problem with vegetable oils. Um, now there was like lean fish was in there. Poultry was in there, but beer and liquor was also included in this beneficial category, Hmm. which was, which was weird. Interesting. Um, neutrally rated foods were potatoes, refined grains, margarine, meal replacements, uh, sugar substitutes, lean red meats, shellfish, eggs, 
diet soft drinks. So some of those are questionable as well. And then the adversely related groups, it was like fried potatoes, desserts, salty snacks, pastry, sweets, processed meats, high fat red meats, and organ meats. Like that that's insane. Like literally that's not even a question. Like that is the most nutrient dense food on the planet, it's organ meats, and this was put in the adverse group. Along with Yeah, that's not even like up for like debate. Like organ meats are it's in, I mean, you just mm-hmm. look at it everywhere. Compare it to any other food, it is it has so much nutrients in it. Uh, um that's it's yeah. insane. This one this one blows my mind. That they <laughs> yeah, basically organ meats are equivalent in this study to donuts. Right, right. To a box of cereal, to name whatever it is, any type of terrible sugary processed food, um, organ meats are equivalent to that within the study, which is a, a yeah. bizarre assumption to go in. Right, right. So the, all these, ca- everyone, not just the adversely related, like all these categories are just like, you know, seemed kind of bizarre. And the way they built yeah. these was they looked at, at previous studies, previous observational data that showed associations between food, these foods and cardiovascular disease. Um, but as we'll talk about later, the starting point of those assumptions is already off. So you're basically lumping all these foods together in these categories with very different nutrient profiles. And I think when you do that, you're doing a disservice to both food groups. Like the benefit of plants was probably skewed downward through the inclusion of beer, liquor, and vegetable oils. And then I think Mm -hmm. the harm of processed food is probably downplayed through the inclusion of some animal products. So it wasn't split very well into like whole foods and processed foods. It was split into plants versus every, everything else, which I guess was kind of the, the goal of it. But I think it just, it destroys the integrity of the, of the data when you lump foods that are just nutritionally opposites into one category. Um, so garbage in, garbage out, as we like to say in the, uh, the accounting industry. Um, and so the results of the study, you know, as, uh, as you might expect, those who scored in the top 20% of diet scores, meaning people that ate from that beneficial foods category, were 52% less likely to develop cardiovascular disease than those that ate from the adverse foods. Um, which, I mean, that top category is, is for the most part, whole foods, uh, it's vegetables. And then that adverse food is mostly processed foods and junk food with the exception of these very nutrient dense foods like meat and organs. So, it's difficult to pull anything from this. As I mentioned in the newsletter, it's just so poorly done. Um, obviously plants are nutritionally superior to processed foods, but there's just the way that they went about this was, I think really, um, really poorly done. Uh, they'd really didn't. And what's amazing. Yeah. This is not just like some random small, uh, group doing this study. This was the American heart association. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just some study thrown together by a couple of research groups or small groups like this is this is the american heart association like that they have um uh they're highly recognized well-renowned they're supposed to be and then they're putting out a study like this which is really Mm -hmm. disheartening yeah disheartening nice um (laughs) and there was they put out another study released at the same time it was very similar. It was, but it was looking more at older women and uh, found the same thing. But that one diet was only assessed in the form of a questionnaire two times over the course of fifteen years. Um, so it kind of suffered from the the similar problems. But you, I saw a bunch of articles about this on you know plant based and uh, the the second study called the diet a plant centered diet 
the portfolio diet. So you may have seen some articles around that, but just the data here was so bad and, and we're making some really big assumptions based on, on poorly done studies. And that kind of brings us to what we really want to talk about today. And that is why are nutrition studies so difficult to, um, to conduct? Um, they, they just, I'll go through a, a couple things. Number one is a, a randomized control trial where you're taking a group of people and feeding them this specific way um, against a group where you're not feeding them uh, that way and monitoring them over a, a specific period of time is very exp expensive and difficult. Like it's very hard to keep someone on a strict diet for an extended period of time. You basically have to keep those people to make sure it's done well. You basically have to keep them on site or under surveillance. Um, yeah, they have to like be basically in a lab for months and months on end, which with it happens with rats all the time. That's why we see a lot of rat studies, but you can't do that with humans. You can't lock them in a cage and, and you know, mm -hmm. uh, have their diet be very specific for months and months at a time. Um, you just, it's, you can't do that with nutrition. Yeah. So. Well, and it's not, and it's not like a medicine where, Hey, you need to show up to the lab, take this experimental medication or even a supplement. I mean, supplement is just, mm -hmm. Hey, like we, um, uh, like what one comes to mind, like ashwagandha. We've, we've done, there's a couple randomized control trials on ashwagandha. Well, it's like, you just here, take this pill. That's it. But diet yeah, take is like 20 milligrams mm -hmm. once a day for a month and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's, so it's easy to do those and it's cheap with when you're studying a supplement or medication, but when you're doing a diet, something that is just so, um, diverse and has so many components to it, it's, it's very difficult to do something like that. And who's going to fund that's going to be, that would be extremely expensive. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking millions and millions of dollars to, to do something with a sizable group, you know, with a meaningful group. Um, and to your point, you mentioned time, like the effects of a, of a diet can take a while to see. Right. You know, it's not just, um, Hey, like, let's do this for a week. And if you do see randomized control trials on food, they're normally very short because they're expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, even six to 12 weeks would be pretty long. Um, you're not going to see, uh, long-term effects from that. I mean, sometimes these things take, take years. I mean, you can get things in that period of time, but like, for instance, I think like these omega sixes is a good one, like, you know, high, uh, processed industrial seed oils. Like, yeah, that might lower LDL pretty quickly, but over the long term, that is creating infl inflammation. And that could take years to to see the the effects of that. So, um, time is another obstacle with these trials. And then, um, I think funding too. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. who's going to fund this kind of stuff? Yeah, a lot of these studies. If you look at the bottom, scroll to the very bottom, they'll, they'll have disclaimers, and um, it'll show where they got their funding from. And uh, yeah, this one's challenging because you don't, you would hate for a, you know, a, a study, let's say this one that had a positive outlook on plants and a negative outlook on meat. Like you would hate to see this funded by um, you, someone in the soy industry because it's like, oh, well, it's clearly biased because someone in the soy industry funded it. Um, but it, it, I mean, it goes both ways because people right. um, in the meat, like a lot of uh, studies that show positive for meat, a lot of those are funded by big meat companies. So hey, eggs that is another big one. Like if you look at any egg yeah. study, like most 90% egg studies are funded by the egg industry. 
Right. And dairy as well. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, it it goes both ways. So it's really hard to like weed this out. There's really no way to, um, find a a perfect study that, I mean, there's going to be some, I don't want to say bias just because it's funded by somebody of the opposite viewpoint doesn't mean there's Mm -hmm. bias in the study, but, um, it's just an inherent problem an underlying problem with nutrition studies. Now, where I think there can be bias is um, in the regulatory side of this. This is something interesting that I found in an article the other day. So, um, you know, the FDA obviously regulates our food, the Food and Drug Administration. Though, so they regulate our food and they regulate drugs, so the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and this this status more geared towards pharma, but it does actually feed into the nutrition side as well because the FDA regulates three quarters of our food supply. But looking at where like the FDA themselves, who regulates the food industry and who regulates the pharmaceutical industry, they get their funding. How they get their funding has recently in the past 30 years has shifted. So it used to be only from the taxpayer. All of their funding was strictly from the taxpayer. And then in the 90s, um, I believe in the mid, uh, I don't know what it was. It was in in the Bush era, whenever in the 90s that was, I think mid-90s. Um, that changed because this is when the AIDS epidemic was going on, and they basically needed to get drugs tested and approved to accelerate the cure for AIDS. So uh, Bush signed a bill to allow the FDA to receive funding from the people, from the pharmaceutical industries who were wanting to get their drugs looked at. So they would, these pharmaceutical companies would then pay a fee to the FDA to then start the process of getting their, their drug looked at. So then now if you look at the funding of the, of the FDA, um, rather than 100% coming from the taxpayer, only 55% comes from the taxpayer and 45% comes from the industries themselves. Interesting. Um, wow. I didn't know that. Which is interesting to look at some of the – like kind of what's changed within the FDA over that time because like in before this took effect before they received money from pharmaceutical industries it it took on average 29 months for a new drug application to basically be filed and decided whether or not to pursue this and then you look forward after that bill was passed into the current times of this was in 2014 that was shortened down to 13 months. And then just looking a few years ago in 2018, that was shortened down just to 10 months. So mm. um, now obviously they're going to have more resources and they're going to be able to go through these a lot faster. But it, it begs the question, like, are they just churning these over to get more funding? You mm. know, are they are they increasing their process and not being as vigilant in their uh, – yeah, and their research. And, yeah, like obviously they're going to have yeah. technology that, that can speed things up. But I think we saw that right. in the um, uh, what I can't remember the name of the medication, the Alzheimer's medication that has gotten a lot of pushback. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how quickly that was was turned around, but there was a lot of questions on is this actually effective? But I think the FDA kind of pushed it out anyway. Um, mm-hmm. That is an interesting stat. Yeah. Hey, uh, well, I guess one th- one additional stat to go to show that maybe it has caused some issues is that the amount of warnings from drugs has increased since then. So like before that um, act was signed, it was around 20% of medications got something called like a, a black box warning, which basically it means after the drug had been released, 
there were further disclaimers saying like, okay, there, there are side effects that we weren't aware of that are now, um, we're aware of now and you should be careful of. So that was 20% before that. And now that's gone up to 27%. So kind of more, uh, it seems that more have slipped through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily just because they're trying to increase their funding. It just is an interesting thing that they are getting about half of their funds from these companies that they're regulating. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's we're, tough. we're, we're like, never going to have an answer there. No, and it's it's um, kind of a catch-22 because it's good that, you know, studies are getting funded and we want more research. You know, we want, you know, more, yeah. you know, investing in this science. But it's, you know, it, what kind of conflict of interest is created from um, – where they get most of their dollars, the everyday person can't afford to fund, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, the, right. the big money is in the big companies, which I don't know. I don't know. I don't think there's, there's this, like, just because a study was funded by an industry means it's corrupt or something, but it, 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 right. may, it may play a role. Yeah. It's, it's something to be aware of. And, mm-hmm. and you can find this information, especially with nutrition studies, this, that the information of who funded it is publicly available. So it's, it's just worth noting. It's worth being aware of. Um, again, you can't prove that there's bias because of that, but, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, a an inherent, an, an inherent and unavoidable problem with nutrition studies. Yeah. So that, uh, those are a few things that, um, I think a few issues you face when it comes to nutrition studies and kind of going back to the type of studies I talked about why randomized controlled trials just aren't feasible with nutrition studies. And that's why we end, end up having to do observational studies, which is where we're observing data over a period of time. And we see how that relates to health records or, or health uh, outcomes. This is how most nutritional research is done. You know, for the reason that it's um, it's cheaper, it's more timely, but the quality is lower. Um, it's uh, I mean, it's very difficult to determine causation from looking at data associations, which is what you're doing with observational studies. Now, that doesn't mean that they're inherently bad. They just don't always work great for dialing in something as complex as nutrition. And I think we need to be careful about drawing conclusions uh, or hard conclusions from these studies, especially when the consequences could be drastic. Uh, like with nutrition. Like I said earlier, human diets are very complex. People metabolize food differently. There's different underlying conditions, different gut microbiome, different DNA. I mean, we're all still uh, humans, but there's not one diet that works for everyone. And I don't think no matter how much you fund uh, high quality studies, you're not going to get, hey, this is the diet that works for everyone. Um, So I I think that makes some of these big claims about completely avoiding certain foods very dangerous. Like there are diets that may work for some. I mean, for instance, a plant plant centered diet, you know, may work well for some, but not for everyone. And uh, I think nutrition is unique in in science research in that the stakes are higher. The consequences of getting it wrong could be much more drastic. Like, for example, observational trials um, on the importance of outdoor time or sleep duration. These are things that we've addressed in health act, like studies that we've cited that were observational. The thing is with this is that, uh, the stakes are lower. Like there's not a risk to getting more outdoor time or getting more sleep. Like the risks of that are non-existent. Um, and observational trials, like I mentioned earlier on, uh, on supplements are a little more reliable because it's, 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 uh, you know, it's just a matter of taking a pill 
But when you get to nutrition and diet, it's just very, it's very different. Like I said, the stakes are higher and it's much, it's much harder to attribute outcomes to one specific food. And one of the reasons for that, and I, I talked about this in uh, in the newsletter, is that food surveys are notoriously inaccurate. So these these surveys, where you know they base a lot of this data on, is just is is not very accurate. There have actually been studies looking at the inaccuracy of data uh, of of food surveys, and a lot of people underreport what they're eating. Um, they've how, uh, how, did the, how do they determine that? <laughs> So what they do is they look at urine they samples. Like, people. No, they don't. Yeah, they they um they looked at they they gave people a survey and then they recorded okay. their urine samples and found that mm-hmm. this does not match up what you said you ate. You you physically okay. could not have eaten what you said you did based on your your urine results. Gotcha. Um, like they there was one with um some obese men and they found that like thirty seven percent of people underreported uh, what they ate, specifically underreported mm-hmm. fat. So, and there's been a couple studies like this where they found that, you know, I don't know, roughly like it depends, like a quarter to, to you know, upwards of 40% are, are underreporting. Like people tend to underreport foods that are considered bad and overreport foods that are considered good. Um, you know, you're taking a survey and you're like, yeah, you know, I, I eat mm-hmm. vegetables or, or, you know, no, I don't need alcohol. It's like when your doctor asks you, like, how much do you drink? It's like <laughs> people that drink every night aren't going to say they drink every night. Um, yeah. They're going to say. And, and especially with these nutrition studies, like we mentioned earlier, they're asking over a long period of time. Like these are, this is very common with nutrition studies over a course of like 30 years. And then every X amount of years. So let's say every five years for 30 years, they survey them. And it's like, what did you eat over the past year or over the past month? Um, and you look back and it's like, yeah, I, I ate pretty good over the past month where it's like, no, you had chocolate cake every other night or mm-hmm. you went out to bars on the weekends. It's like you don't think of that stuff. You're just like, yeah, generally I, I eat pretty good. I eat, I eat plants right. probably every day and maybe meat once a day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, particularly when you're looking at back at over a, a long period yeah, of time, yeah. you're going to underreport, yeah, bad foods and overreport good foods. Yeah, and, and people just – I mean, they can't rem- remember every little thing they eat. And yeah. when you're talking about diet, like these things matters, like preciseness mm-hmm. matters. Um, yeah. So nutrition, like these food servers are just not great. And there's not really a, a good way around that. A- and data can be manipulated in, in so many ways in these observational trials. Like you can, you can pull so many um, associations be- between the data. For, for instance, um, there was a website, I think it's called, uh, I can't remember the name of the website. It looked at just random associations, and they found that there's a strong co- correlation between those who consume cheese and those who die from becoming strangled in their bed sheets. <laughs> so, by that data, if you are a cheese eater, you are more likely to die from being strangled in your bed sheet. Obviously, yeah. the, the, you know, the cheese doesn't cause you to be strangled in your bed sheet. It's just an association. There's a strong association mm-hmm. between those who consume margarine and those who get divorced in Maine. Like, obviously, there's not a causation there. Um, the more films that Nick Cage is in, the more people drown in pools. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Nick Cage should stand on trial for mass murder, but I think you just need to be careful with this kind of stuff. Um, all that is to say is, like, correlation does not equal causation, and that's the risk we run into with these observational trials. 
but they're not useless. Um, they really are important for helping us determine where we need to look deeper. And I think that's a good, a good purpose that they serve. Um, it can help us maybe point us in the right direction and think, all right, let's look, look into this d- deeper. Um, I just think we need to be careful about how much weight we place on these studies and not, um, not fear monger, you know, into removing mm-hmm. nutrient dense foods, you know, based on th- these types of studies. Well, this is why, I mean, we said at the beginning, this is why you see such, uh, like opposing headlines and contradictory headlines and headlines that change all the time, like mm-hmm. eggs being good and bad every other year and meat being good and bad and plants being good and bad every other, it always changes. And people are always so confused. It's like, I don't even know what to eat anymore. So I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And people get frustrated because these uh, mainstream news outlets will get a hold of a study and it's a legit study, but it just has a, uh, you know, a clickbaity outcome. You can say eating meat takes 20 years off your life. Like that's an interesting headline. So let's report on it. Even though it's a single study, maybe not done so great, um, it's going to get clicks. Mm-hmm. Rather than looking at the full body of evidence and looking at studies performed over the past, you know, recent studies and old studies and seeing how they've fared over the years and looking at all the data collectively rather than just a single um, observational nutritional study that has a lot of holes in it. You have to look at more than just that single study. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what should people look for then when, when they do see these articles? Um, stuff, a lot of stuff. So, I mean, we've, we've talked about a lot of these, so there's no one thing I don't think you can like look out for to be like, okay, this is a good study. Um, there it's, it's a collection of things mm-hmm. and you need to, um, ch- I guess just check as many of these boxes as possible. One thing doesn't make it good or bad. It's just looking at everything collectively. Like, is this a well-conducted study? So, I mean, like we mentioned, is it observational or interventional? Um, and is it humans or animal? Like mm-hmm. if these studies are only being done on rats, it's like, okay, it's interesting that it happened that way with the rats, but is it going to carry over mm-hmm. into human trials? So it's something to take note of, but not necessarily something to change your lifestyle on. Yeah. Um, again, the duration of the study, how long was it? Was this something where they took people and changed their diet for three days in a lab and that's it? They just based it upon that? Like, like um, in the what's the movie the game changers they did this where like they ate a burrito and uh, it, it was very clickbaity um in the game changers documentary like there's three athletes one ate like a beef burrito one ate a bean burrito and one ate like a a, a chicken burrito mm-hmm. and then like after an hour they measured their urine and like one urine was like really cloudy and the other was perfectly clear oh, the one yeah. who ate the plants was perfectly clear and it's like okay interesting but that doesn't mean well, anything. That wasn't even a study. That was just like some ex- ex- uh, Yeah, It was dumb. Exactly. It made no sense. It was stupid. It, but yeah, stuff like that. It's like that's yeah. – that, yeah. But look at long-term. Look at short-term. Um, be be uh, cognizant of how – yeah, was this just done in a lab in a, in a weekend or was it done over a mm-hmm. 20-year period? Um, and then how the quality of the data, like we mentioned this. The, the the groups of, of what these foods were in, the fact that they grouped together donuts and beef. And that's something that you we, you don't know right off the bat. Like we had to read into the study before we found out those different groupings. And like that's a huge piece of information that you can't get just super easily or super quickly. And it takes a little bit of digging into to figure out how, how high quality is that data. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's it's not easy for your average person or like enjoyable for your average person to do this. That's why we hope we can do this and with our with our newsletter and podcast. But yeah. um, digging into the data is sometimes necessary, and in this case, it was. Um, and yeah. then, like we mentioned, with the conflict of interest, looking at who performed uh, the research and who funded it. With the funding, it is hard because you're going to get a mixed bag there, just because it's funded by, you know, a, a, an anti-meat studies funded by a soy company. Doesn't mean it's necessarily biased, but I think something more important would be to look at who, like, the researchers of that study, because you can sometimes dig up who they are specifically, like get, getting the name of the lead researcher and saying, okay, who is this person? Are they on any other organizational boards? Do they contribute their money anywhere? Do they have some type of background that would present some some type of bias? Mm-hmm. So like if you find out the lead researcher of this American Heart Association, I'm not saying this is true, but if if they were on the board of um, like Silk, the the plant-based mm-hmm. milk company like okay that that'd be kind of an uh interesting uh maybe a red a, a, flag, a red flag. something It'd to be, be a aware red flag. Of. yeah it's not like that that means that it's a bad study it's just be aware yeah. of it right yeah um, um so it's not any one of these it's just the the accumulation of all these looking at all these different points and making sure um it kind of checks all the right boxes i think is is important and it's not fun to do it's not easy to do. Um, yeah, no, it's yeah. not. We, this is this is what we do when we are picking stories for uh, Health Act. We put a lot of time into just picking the right stories because we want to make sure mm-hmm. that. Well, number one, it was it was recent because it is news, and you know, it was it good quality. Was it um, you know, animal? Was it a you know, human or animal? What was the time period? Like these are all things that we look at, and yeah, it's not um, not everybody enjoys doing this. It, it takes a lot of time and effort. I mean, the amount of, the amount of hours we put in, not even just to writing Health <laughs> Act, just sifting through studies to see which ones are actually worth reporting yeah. on mm-hmm. takes a ton of time. So if you don't want to do this, subscribe to Health Act, uh, <laughs> healthact.com. We put out a weekly newsletter. Everyone knows at this point who listens to this. Um, we put out a weekly newsletter with you know top headlines, top research, and um, nutrition, fitness, mental health, all that kind of stuff. And we go through all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think just the takeaway here is when you see these headlines in the mainstream media from, you know, whatever news source, when you see these posts on Instagram, when you see these news stories on the internet, like don't just take it for what it is. Like know that there's all this background to it, that they could be cherry picking. They could be just picking out interesting bits and sharing that they often do. Um, so just be careful of that and look into into the um, quality of the study, and that will kind of get you to your your answer, whether or not that is an accurate headline. Yeah. Do your due diligence. It's, uh, it's time-consuming, but it's worth it to stay properly informed. All right. Well, hopefully this wasn't too boring and you got something out of this. Uh, thanks for listening. Get your element at drinkelementy.com slash lab rats. I think it's still lab rats. As of now, it will be, if that doesn't work, uh, slash health act, we're in process of changing. Yeah. All right. Have a great week.